You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 585 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, on this Tuesday evening. The main part of today's podcast will be an interview that I did with Brian Schroeder of uh, Dime Magazine and Patreon, all kinds of different places. Brian is one of the best in the business at evaluating prospects, so that's a lot of fun, and that's to come very shortly. One news item that I wanted to hit on that I was not able to hit on in the last podcast, because I did not do the last podcast um, actually since Friday, uh, is that Deontay Davis has been actually waived by the Hawks. That was announced on Monday. Bit of a surprise, honestly, given the way that things usually happen this time of year. You don't often see guys who have late guarantee dates uh, waived in early to mid-June. There really isn't too much of a reason for that. Davis was not great, candidly, in his limited time with the Hawks last year, but he was on a multi-year deal uh, just for some specific sake. He was under contract for $1.65 million for next season, but it was non-guaranteed. In fact, the Hawks had until the end of July to make a decision on guaranteeing only about $250,000 of that of that contract, so a very, very small commitment. So normally, with that as the backdrop, you would want to have that guy available for Summer League, and that was kind of the thought process behind signing Davis in the first place to a, to a multi-year contract. But for whatever reason, the Hawks elected to part ways with Davis. No real downside here. I don't, I don't think that he was going to make, make making a huge impact, but normally he would at least take the long look at a guy over Summer League. This could be, and this is this is me interpreting, not something that I've been told directly or anything like that, but this could be the Hawks doing him a favor, maybe looking at the roster and, and just basically thinking there's no chance he's going to make the team. Um, and as a result of that, they're kind of giving him um, the opportunity to catch on somewhere else where, where he might have a clearer path to a roster spot. That is something that would certainly be a part of uh, what the Hawks' framework has been recently. The front office has been not shy about doing favors and trying to curry favor around the league with uh, this kind of goodwill gesture. So uh, nothing wrong with that necessarily considering the fact that he was not likely to make the roster. But that's the only uh, take away in terms of news this week aside from the draft which is rapidly approaching we're uh, as, as i record this about nine days away from the draft so uh, it's coming in a hurry we'll have plenty more draft content to come in addition to brian i have a couple of uh, high profile guests lined up for the next week or so so hopefully those will come through and all that fun stuff so all that to say uh davis is no longer on the roster <laughs> that's the only thing to uh catch up on over the last few days unless you are talking about the nba draft one note before we get to brian uh please subscribe to this podcast via the himalaya app or Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, all those places that like to listen to shows, we should be everywhere. And if we're not, please let me know that. But we should be all across the board and available. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that fun stuff. Tell your friends. And uh, after this short break, we'll come back with Brian Schroeder. Thank you so much for joining me, my friend. And I really appreciate it. How are you on this fine Tuesday evening? Uh, tired. <laughs> it's that time of year. Yeah, and I've, I've been messing with. I've been changing my sleep schedule too much, trying to adjust to games and D three and all this dumb stuff that I shouldn't be paying attention to. But I am. We all uh, have too much to do this time of year. Uh, I mean, the, I guess the good thing for someone like yourself, and this is something that I can I wanted to say out loud before we get started, is that uh, I know how much uh, tape you watch, and you're you're someone who. Um, Makes their own decisions, which I always appreciate. There's a there's a lot of uh, consensus stuff this time of year, um, which mm-hmm. I can also fall into a trap in. And I think you do a great job of uh, making your own evaluations, which I always appreciate. And so that might differ from other people's, which is sometimes well, good. This draft in particular, because uh, my my friend Mike Gribanov always has said all along, after Zion, there's probably like ten or twelve guys, 
and you could just kind of have them however you <laughs> want. Like it's really they're really almost all the same level. And then this is going to be an interesting draft because it's it's not there's like no it's not terrible it's not good it's not a good draft but it's it's kind of weirdly deep in a way like there's a like 40 45 guys who could be decent NBA players which is like it's a flatter draft than most like the the star level talent the freshmen there's not that many of them you know but like as far as like eighth man on a team there's probably like 30 of them and they're all kind of stretched out in different areas and a team that really scouts well and and looks for fit guys outside of the top ten is going to do really well in this draft. So, yeah, I mean it's interesting. And you, as as a team that I cover, obviously that has you know, six in the top forty four, they're not going to make six. So, especially the team I was thinking of, the, uh, yeah, and the Sixers and the Spurs. Those yeah. are three teams I was thinking of for and Boston. I mean, Boston's, gonna... and Boston's got three picks in that middle first round range that are interesting. I mean, they're not not, not quite as loaded later on, like. Uh, like the Hawks are, but um, there's there's some value to be had, I think, and um, that I'm gonna come back to this, but I'm gonna ask you later about this trade up scenario that's kind of floating around out there that I don't like so much for the Hawks. Probably but, not a good idea. Is my is my is a spoiler? Yeah, spoiler alert. I, I think we agree on that actually. Um, but I'd rather I, have two. I'd rather have two of the guys from two to fifteen than one. I exactly agree. We're all about the same level. <laughs> Um, before we get to that, and we'll spend a lot of time on the lottery later, I wanted, since I have you and I, I know how deep you go with this stuff, I wanted to spend some time on the second round guys because they often get overlooked. I'm as guilty as anybody of spending too much time on this podcast and in my writing on the other guys because they're just more prominent. But um, the Hawks have these three picks, 35, 41, 44. This is going to be t- three tough. Three good picks. Yeah, it's going to be tough for you to do because I know how many guys you're going to want to list right now. But I was going to open it up and just say, tell me who the Hawks should be considering at 35, 41, Terrence 44. Davis. <laughs> there you go. Go ahead. Why? Davis is the first, just because I just feel like I said he's an eighth man. He like, I don't know if I'd want to start Terrence Davis, but like, there's an argument that he's the third best athlete in the entire draft. Like, just pound for pound, he's just a monster jumper off both feet. He's a good enough passer and became a better pull up shooter. He's not like a he's one of those guys who's more athletic than he is a defender, but he's pretty good. You know, good steal rate. All that he's got, he had huge hands for a guard. For a six-four guy, he had huge hands, long arms. He's not that old. He's just like he played a little miss, so nobody really cared. Even though they were pretty good last year, but I mean, it's it's all miss. It's not. It's a baseball school, a football school. It's not. It is not a basketball school. But um, I don't know. He's just like a nice complimentary guard wing kind of like he could. I don't know. Maybe like David Nwaba, but like a better shooter. Maybe not as good, strong, but like that kind of. Just supplementary guy who could really help. If the plan is to be good in two or three years, he'll probably be useful for a good team. If, you, if, that's, if that's the idea, which it should be. Yeah, I mean, I imagine that that is the plan. And I think just as a good way of talking about this stuff a little bit, um, I think people often, even in the second round, like kind of cringe when we talk about players like being an eighth man. It's like, why would you want that guy? It's like, well, in the second round, if you can get an eighth man, that's that's what you're looking for. <laughs> so I uh, yeah. just want to put that out later, just to as a translation a little bit. If you can get a solid rotation player in the second round, that's all you need to get. That's a, that's a big time success, frankly, and that should just be yeah. viewed through that. I mean, I guess you could swing for upside if certain guys fall. I know, for instance, like you are all in on Jonte Porter, and he, I guess, could still be there in the second round. Um, and that's, that's an upside pick, obviously. But there's also yeah. a lot of value to be had with the very safe, very unsexy kind of players. The funny thing about that is that he's uh, – I mean, 
his profile is not very sexy, but like he does monster dunks. He is like a huge highlight player. He's really fun to watch. Um, and if you have multiple picks, you want you want to get somebody you can play immediately. Like that's the idea. Dequan Jeffries is another guy like that, but I think he'd be a little less. I don't know. He's more of a true wing, like a four kind of, and he can't shoot really. And that's not the Hawks. That's not really their their mo. That's not really Schlenk's mo. Um, I don't think he'll be there, but like Iggy Brasdikas would be another great fit for that kind of. I think he. I think he might be there. I mean, I think Iggy is someone who I, of course, am slightly biased on, being that he's a Michigan guy. But um, I keep hearing that he's not like loved in. NBA circles necessarily like there's knocks out there that are informed and sourced that he's like not getting drafted in or going going in the 50s and that's maybe not super surprising but I think uh, I have him ahead of that and uh, he'd be someone who I think the you know he tested really well he did and like he's he's just skilled like that's something that the Hawks are going to like for better or worse like is going to lean into the guys who can kind of dribble past shoot and he's one of those guys so yeah. um he might he might profile as a Hawks-ish kind of player and he's just good I don't know he's not overwhelming but he's just pretty good at a lot of things um yeah i mean i like i like iggy he's pretty good all three of the michigan guys really like pool i would definitely take in the second round i'd still take matthews but i might i could understand waiting now I well think I, I do think actually for the hawks for the hawks it makes almost more sense because they've already like his agent already came out and said that they wouldn't take a two-way contract if you can if you can get him at 44 uh, they need defense badly on this team, yeah. um, and just basically say, "All right, all, all right, Charles, you're going to be in, you're going to be on, on a two way, and just take your time, um, and we have control over you." That's that's not a bad um, idea, I think. If they, especially if they, were, especially if they were to move back, which they might do, like maybe you get one of those weird yeah. trades where you trade out and trade, you know, trade out for a future pick and also trade down like 54 or something like that, and just grab them there and hope it works. Um, I'm looking at some more of the other guards. I don't think Carson Edwards will actually be there. I mean, Rui won't, obviously. So, like, I have a feeling with those three picks, they should take some kind of rotation guard or wing, a, some kind of project center, Kevin Galley or, I mean, Tata, if he'd been around, he'd sit in the draft, he'd him perfect. Um, and then, like, maybe just a stash guy, if they don't want they don't want to roster somebody. So, like, Yobel Zeusman, uh uh, Gigi Lozada. I don't know if Obishi's even. I don't think he even stayed in. I, don't, I have to check that. But just like somebody who doesn't have to come over immediately. That's probably what I would do unless somebody fell. Well, I mean, it, so, it, 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 it depends on what, what they do earlier, but there is no chance they're making six picks and having none of them be stashes. If they, for some yeah. reason, stay put, they're drafting at least one, maybe two stashes. Yeah, and there's a, there's a good amount of stashes in this draft. I was a little sad. Uh, Nikita Mikhailovsky dropped out. I think Vren Spleisenberg dropped out. They're both pretty young. Those guys would have been fun stashes. Um, the the secret guy that I would take, I mean, I would take Terrence Davis first. I have him higher. But if uh, either Justin Robinson or Tremont Waters got to that second pick, I might just take him. Especially Tremont. I think Tremont could be... You could run a lot of the Trey Young stuff for him. At least as a shooter. Because his freshman year, he kind of was like budget Trey. Like he, he shot almost as well as Trey did for most of the year at LSU, despite being smaller and not as good a passer. But like I mean, he, he was a little also, more, he was also, a little more reined in this year. So the, those made him like they were a better team. LSU was, but he was a little less uh, gutsy. He took a little few 
not not quite as many thirty footers. And they had more so, talent. I mean, that was the thing. They were kind yeah. of they had more guys with them. And and by the way, there's 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 two schools of thought with the backup point guard spot, which the Hawks need to address at some point. One of which is what you're saying, like someone who's kind of like Trey Young, where you don't you don't have to change the offense too much. And then the other side is someone who can maybe be bigger and maybe play alongside Trey Young. Uh, Tremont Waters cannot, that, cannot do that. <laughs> but no, but that, I don't know if that's what you want with a backup point guard. Well, that's like, the you question. Need th- you need three guards. Yeah, absolutely. Like, if I you mean, sign Patrick Beverly, you're not playing. You're not signing the backup point guard. He's going to get good money. I'm not saying they would, but it's that kind of type of guy. Yeah, I mean, it's basically the theory of if they if they want to spend some real money. Or if they want to draft somebody that, you know, can, I mean, because there really isn't that perfect guy in this draft that can kind of be that, unless you just believe in Ty Jerome, um, who, I, who and, I, and I do, by the way, but he's just not really a point guard at the, at the NBA level because of his quickness. No, stuff. He's, a pass, he's a passing two. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's not really that perfect guy, but, like, there is this, I understand the theory behind it because maybe you know, if, you, if you pay real money, for instance, like someone like Beverly, he can play with Trey because of his defense. So that's actually kind of useful in his shooting. Um, but otherwise, if you're just going for a straight backup point guard, it can be whatever you want it to be, and ideally, you probably want someone you, you, you don't have to overhaul your offense for. Justin Robinson's another guy like that. Not as much of a shooter. I don't know. There's there's some guys here. Maybe you just wait. I, you don't. I don't know if you necessarily have to get your, you know, your long term backup point guard in this draft. But if they want to look, I think there's there's options. I'm not a cow guy guy. Uh, uh, <laughs> yes, he's not a point guard. Is the problem? He's not, and I think he's not going to get drafted. I'm... No, no. Josh Perkins, you can get in the undrafted pool, and he actually would be a good if you want to take a swing at that. He would be Hawksy, actually. Yeah, I mean, he'd be sort of the Jalen Adams of this year. The Hawks like Jalen Adams. They, you know, he, yeah. went, he went undrafted. They that's like the him. Too. That's the other thing too. That Jalen Adams could be the backup point guard. Yeah, I mean, he's the only guy they have right now. He's the only option, and I think they don't want to go into the season with him as the only option. But. Yeah. They do like him. I mean, he's a drill pass and shoot guy. His shooting is legit. If they can get him to do play up everywhere else, it can work. Barry Brown is not a point guard. It's uh, it's tough. Yeah, it's not great in this. I mean, I mean, other than Shamori Pons, like he's the one guy that's like always projected in the Hawks' second round range. Yeah. And other than that, like Waters is probably the next best guy in terms of mock draft stuff. Anyway, Justin Robinson I do like, but he's not. Not usually projected to go in the 30s and 40s, so I don't know. It could be interesting if they if they if they want to get a guy in this class, which I'm not going to tell you is a priority by any means. In my opinion, I think they probably should just sign a veteran. But if they want to get somebody, the options are not overflowing at backup point guard. The problem is what veteran? It's I don't know. True. Because I'm just looking now. I mean, Corey Davis. Uh, I'm not really a big fan of his. It's just not. It kind of dries up. Like with all things, this draft is weirdly high on power forwards. That's about it. Yeah, there are a, a lot, lot of, of power them. forward. <laughs> and by the way, the Hawks, that's like the one spot where the Hawks don't have a shortage because they keep, I mean, they're, they're, for the most part, John Collins is playing there, you know, 80% of the time. And they also have a Mark yeah. Spellman who they're not really wanting to play at center either. And that was the first round pick last year. So they're not um, necessarily then, in the market for pure power forwards. Whatever whatever wings they, they'll play a lot of wing fours. I wouldn't be surprised if they drafted uh, Servetus. He'd be a guy I think they would look at. I, I like that fit a lot, actually. He's one of my he's one of my favorite. If they're especially if they're going to look international, he would be probably the guy that makes the most sense because uh, Samantha yeah. is not going to fall that far. So um, he would be the next guy for me. Oh, should but yeah, yeah. I, don't, I mean, um, just based on the intel, I don't think he's going to fall that far. That's just no. Nice, but. Yeah, I mean, uh, for sure, Bataje and Seku will be probably lottery picks, if not top fifteen. Yeah, somewhere. Um, like and then like yeah. Simonich and maybe Zeusman might be late first guys. I'm not sure. I've heard conflicting things about that. 
but uh, Zeusman. That's the uh, the moral then, the, the moral of the story in mid June is, con is conflicting things. That's what always that's what always yeah. happens. And then I mean the, the rest of the second one, guys it really drops off. Like I said after like forty five it's just sort of it gets ugly. I mean I, I wanted to ask you specifically about and we're this will maybe transition a little bit into the lottery or the number seventeen conversation anyway is um, if the Hawks don't draft a big in the first round which seems possible maybe even likely. Um, any of these, you know, I guess pure centers in this draft that you like? You know, there's a lot of chatter about Daniel Gafford, or uh, I don't think Bruno Fernandez is going to get there, but maybe Bruno Fernandez if he were still available at 30. In the 30s, or, sure. Yeah, I mean that's I, I doubt that's going to yeah. happen. I mean Gafford might be there necessarily. Maybe uh, who else is there? I mean, cause I guess Nasri's there. He's not a great. Kevin Galli should be, but he won't. Yeah, he's going to go before. That. Yeah, I'm not. I, I wouldn't even draft Nasri personally. I have no I faith in. I don't him. like Nasri either, <laughs> especially in Atlanta where. His weaknesses are magnified tenfold by the rest yeah. of the roster. That's just not Isaiah sense. Roby is not a true center. And then, like, I don't know. Dean Wade's not a true center either. I think of um, Eric Holman, but I, he might just be better getting up. Kenny Wooten might be the guy, actually. You know, he kind of plays kind of like a budget Don Collins, but he's a better shot blocker. But I think mean, in college, it was he all the same. Give him the ball, like, 19 from the basket and let him make two dribbles and score because he's a freak athlete. Um, yeah, Holman might be an interesting guy to bring in. I mean, I love Ethan Happ, but I don't know if Ethan Happ's going to make it in the NBA. Juwan Morgan might be the might be another guy to look at. Yeah, man, and I think most uh, of those guys that you're talking about, Kanate, maybe they're probably more like undrafted two way mm -hmm. camp invites kind of players. Yeah, they're not draftable probably in the forties. I mean, if they fell in love with somebody, then sure. Um, it's just it's interesting because I, I mean I'm not of the mind that the Hawks have drafted center. But I know I know Hawks fans that listen to this podcast will be confused. Maybe is the word if they don't have a center in this draft, which I think is not necessarily, you know, a huge deal for me. But because they have so many picks and because they don't quote have their center of the future end quote, if they don't draft one, there's going to be some questions that at least I'm going to get. So I want to at least get it out there. Yeah, I'm not really sure. Like, like I said, Cato would have been the perfect guy to bring in and develop, but he oh, went yeah. back to school for some reason i mean he must have gotten really bad feedback i was surprised by that this is by the way the utah state big that we're talking about that went back uh we were i wrote him up in the on our peace troops draft it was one of the best and, defend one of the best rim protectors in all college basketball and like it moved kind of knock need but kind of has Embiid moves and like really if you really squint he had he had flashes where he looked really really confident in the post and then he had other flashes where he looked completely lost but like yeah, he was one of the highest. I think he was like third in BPM among all freshmen last year, playing primary center minutes for Utah State and making them a good, helping make them a, like a good team. He's really good. Yeah, uh, he he's really impressive in flashes. Um, yeah, I don't know who else. I don't think any of those other guys in the 30s. I think they might be all overdrafts. Because that's the thing, if if a center is not good enough to take in the top, I don't know, 25. Probably don't need to draft him. Yeah, like, that's you probably that's, find similar production from like a Ken Birch type. Yeah, I'm not saying Ken Birch will be available, but go sign, go sign Jan Vesely for no. I mean, that, that's $10 the theory, the theory like, of it is, and, that, and that's part of what's instructed my view on the first round in this draft is that you know unless it's unless the big that you're going to get is pretty special, uh, you kind of don't need to draft that guy in the first round. Um, and in this draft, there's only. I mean, I don't think Jonte is like a true center. So there's really probably only two guys there, and neither one of them will be 
around even. I mean, they'd be around at eight, obviously, but seventeen would be a little bit of a risk trying to get out of those guys. Yeah, for sure. So I mean, all that to say, if you want a big, I know you would advocate Jonte for sure, considering his upside and where you have him. <laughs> yeah, but like I said, he's. I think I honestly think he's kind of a com- like He's a combo. Yeah, he is. That's he's true. Really, I mean, he's he's really big. I haven't updated his. He weighs like he weighs like two fifteen at the combine. Like he really lost a lot of weight. Yeah. What did you make of that? By the way, he lost like thirty pounds good. in a year. It's good without playing. <laughs> just like how did he you do that? Must have been working out like crazy. He um. No, I mean, I mean, it's good. It's it, one way to alleviate future knee problems is to, to lose weight, put less tear on the put less pressure on the knee to hold up. Um, I would advocate, I would advocate Hayes personally, but. I get people wouldn't want to match him, match him with John Collins. It is kind of a weird fit. Yeah, it's not a great fit. I'm also not say. not of the opinion that you should be drafting around John Collins. Like, I like him; he's good. But I agree on both counts, and that's something that we can maybe we talk about just for a second because I know you watch a lot of Hawks. Um, there's, you know, no one's out of the two of us. Neither one of us are down on John Collins by any means. But I think just philosophically. I'm not of the mind that you build around players that don't project to be elite. I think Trey Young is the only guy on the roster that they really have yeah. to build around. Um, you, you're definitely building with John Collins. He's one of your. He's clearly. I think last year he was the best player on the team. Um, Trey Young will probably be the best player this year, I'd imagine. But he's yeah. definitely in the top two, and that helps you. And he, you know, obviously, he's very good at basketball. But you know, building your roster specifically. Just, just to say that you know you can't have them because, because you have John Collins. It's not something that I would want to do. You, 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 you can definitely consider it as a tiebreaker, like guys who just can't play with him, like Nas Reed, for instance. If you if you're a Nas Reed fan, I think that pairing would just never ever work. So no. you have to kind of cross him off, I guess. But guys like I mean, aside from like glaring examples, fit is a concern, but it isn't a deciding factor for me. The, the Hawks are still very much in the talent accumulation phase. Absolutely. As we call it. Just got to be getting as many guys as you can, as many guys you know are good as you can, and then figure out who plays where and what goes on after that. Like, yeah, and that's you know, it's really only a concern for Collins because, like, you wouldn't if you had a guy you thought was the same as Kevin Herter, you would just take him because then you have two of them. Because wings, yep. Yeah, like, but you, can't, you yeah. can't have too many wings. And the only thing with Collins, it's, it's it's just because of the way the game is played now, which is not a shot at Collins at all. It's just that he's this hybrid four-five, and it can be tricky I wish he to play a- those guys together. I wish he was a true five, man. It makes things so much simpler. It would make things so much. That's a great way to put that. And I, I mean, for the longest time, I was just kind of defiant and saying that he was a center. Um, this year, with the way he was able to flash the jump shot and flash the a little bit of a playmaking on the perimeter offensively, yeah. I, I've come around to him playing the four. I'm okay with it now in a way I wasn't a year ago. But uh, just team building wise, it'd be a lot easier if he was just a center. Just offensively, it doesn't. It doesn't matter. It's just that no, he can't play defense. Right. You can't have him be your paint protector. No, you you'd have to have a very specific power forward for it to work, like uh, LeBron James or, Jer- or Jaron Jackson Jr. Is basically, <laughs> yeah, Jaron's a center anyway. I know. I, I just mean like if you had those two guys playing together, it would work because of that yeah. reason. But it's just it's Matanze might be the guy who fits here, but I don't I don't think I think they would draft him, but I don't think they will. No, I mean he he actually from a skill perspective, from what a profile that the Hawks have been drafting under Travis Schlenk, he actually makes a lot of sense because he's super skilled. Um, I just don't know about the medical at all, so I I just don't know how they feel about any of it. Um, but for me, I mean, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not as high on him as you are probably. But if you can get the guy in, if you are okay at all with the medicals, and you give him the second round, you just you just do it and figure it out later. Oh, he wouldn't be in the second round, but yeah, yeah. Um, 
there's an there's an argument that Goga is the only guy besides Zion who's like a sure thing to be a good NBA player. Oh, just you, how good you know that what, is. You, you know what I thought? Just I, I thought you said Jonte, and we were talking about Goga. So that's oh no no yeah uh, no, Jonte. No, he's a top yeah, ten. Yeah, Jonte's the medical. Jonte's <laughs> yes. the medical. You don't know. No, yeah, and you're not, and you're not gonna because that's what happens with Europeans. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, he is he is playing huge. He was playing huge minutes in the year league at 19 and looked fine. So, Oh yeah. He can, feel, he's pretty safe. I think, I mean, the, the questions about his defense are maybe out there and we'll get to uh, that. I have the opposite questions. Oh really? Yeah. Let's, his defense uh, is, uh, let's do that now. I mean, defense, let's, I'm, I'm pretty sure he, he will be like a good defender. Let's, let's, let's transition in, like fully to the first round guys, unless you have more to add in the second round. We, we, we can come back if we want to. But uh, the only thing I have to add is that uh, Cody Martin might be a guy you want. They want to bring in. He is. Uh, he. I know he worked out with the Hawks. He. He is a skill guy that would fit the Hawks profile. That's all I'll say. Yeah, Cody Martin. Um, he's just. Yeah, he's just not a. I don't know. Is he twenty three? Yeah, I know they're old. They're very old. Which isn't. Yeah. That probably won't scare them off too bad in the second round. But it's just something to consider. Um, okay, uh, let's go to the first. And since we're since we're talking about. Bigs keep going on uh, an interesting player that I know. I know a lot of Hawks fans have been hearing about now for a while, but most people haven't seen as much as you for sure. So you know, well, I know a lot of people have seen more than me too, and they've, they've I've listened to their opinions on it. Yeah, um, I mean, and that's that's where I am. I mean, I, I watched as much I as possible. I, uh, I have to find the numbers, the exact numbers, but there was a thing going around the other day that so he transferred. Batadze transferred teams. He went into the Euro League. Yeah, he's with uh, Budoknos now, I think. Before that, the team he was on before, you know, they go through, they kind of play all the same teams in a row. Like, they'll do, they kind of do sweeps in the EuroLeague. They played, I think there was nine or ten teams they played. When he was there, they had like a 92 defensive rating. And they played the exact same schedule right after he left. And they had like a 127 offense, something like that. Like, an enormous jump, defensive rating. Like, they became a terrible team. After dominating when Batate was there, I mean, and I, and I think he, I think he's like third in the Euroleague in blocks, and he, he only played like the last third of the season. Like he went nuts. Yeah, the, he's the just only really the only smart question is this is, is the perimeter stuff. I mean, if, I trust yeah. him around the, from what I've seen. I trust him around the rim. I'm not worried about that really at all. It's just whether he can move his feet in space. And he can, he can play drop coverage. Like if Brook Lopez can play drop coverage in the playoffs, he can play drop coverage in the playoffs. Yeah, that's um, true. I mean, Brooke is. I mean, I'm trying to figure out. I feel like Brooke is just so big, you know. Like there's. Yeah. Guy, I mean, got, go, he's, he's not small by any means, but he's not like overwhelmingly big. So maybe that's the only concern is that he's not like his physical size in the NBA isn't going to game change. But he's a pretty decent athlete. It's not like he can. Yeah. Not he doesn't. Move. He doesn't really win with physicality. He's no. like a weird. This is this is reductive, but he's like a weird Nurkic Jokic hybrid where he's. Uh. Like more lithe than than Nurkic and better shooter and has like more ball skill, but he's more capable of immediately just not getting pushed around like Jokic was at the first. Like Jokic could not do that for like two years, and uh, I I feel like he'll be kind of in between them. Like I think I think he'll be as good as Nurkic was this year. Nurkic was pretty good. Yeah, I mean that's because he's got um of all the recent NBA drafted guys in the Adriatic, they were looking. He he was uh. There was like seven seasons, I think, of, of that were qualified. He was third in points, second in rebounds, third in assists, and all those guys. And the the rebound, the one guy ahead of him in rebounds was Nurkic, and the two guys ahead of him in points and assists were two seasons of of Nikola Jokic. 
which is uh, not a bad place. To and it, the other guys were like Ante Zizic, uh, Zubac, oh, somebody else. I who were who NBA players. It's not like those guys are not NBA players. And he was significantly ahead of them is the thing. Like, right. He was I mean, much and, better than them. So. so all that to say, like – I know the answer to this, I think, but you know, you would certainly consider him for the Hawks at, for instance, ten. Like that's that's kind of the spot where 10, he would probably absolutely. be. Yeah, I think he's. I think eight is probably not going to be him, but maybe he would be. No. So ten, you would you consider want... him. Where do you yeah. have uh, him compared to Hayes? And I'll keep going on him. If anything else that you want? I have, that... him, I have him. I have him ahead of Jackson. They're in the same group, though. That, that's the big question that everyone is asking, especially those who want a center like full stop. In the top ten, I would Hayes probably Gogo. take. I would probably take Jackson for the Hawks because he has such utility as a roll and lob guy, and you have a guy who looks like he'll be the best in the NBA at that at throwing lobs for the next twelve years. Because Jackson is a his ability to like run, catch, move his feet, and adjust is he looks like a wide receiver. Like that's an old cliche, but he was a wide receiver. Who then just grew to seven foot tall, and he's also a he's also, football coach's son. <laughs> yeah, so he um he has I, I, earnestly he might have like as far as catching the ball the best hands I've ever seen. Where Javon Carter has the best hands I've ever seen because Javon Carter has the hands of a seventy year old man. He can just do whatever he wants. Like he can just push you around and control you with the ball. Look what he did to Trey Young. But like as far as catching the basketball, Jackson's. He had the biggest hands at this combine, and he's – I don't think I've ever seen him drop a ball. Yeah, it's like Weber-like. Like Weber, yeah. Weber was always the yeah. legendary hand guy because his hands were just enormous, and he would just envelop the basketball. Um, he's a little bit Weber-like in the way he, he can – he's not – like Weber wasn't vertically explosive, and Jackson's not really. But he just moves really well. It's His movement skills are what we call it. His ability to just move his feet, run fluidly run at like a full gallop and turn and adjust and catch things. There's a play he did where he uh, uh, helped baseline and blocked a shot with his left hand and then spun his whole body around 180 degrees because he tried to catch the balls before it fell out of bounds and landed. And it's like, that's not what a seven, like seven footers are not supposed to be able to turn and adjust their bodies like that. Yeah. I mean, like, it looked like Eric Bledsoe jumping up in the air. He's a very interesting athlete because it's not like it's not pretty, it's not always that explosive. It's just really coordinated, fluid, and interesting. Uh, two questions about Hayes before we get to somebody else: um, A, his rebounding, and B, do you think he's going to be able to shoot? Because those those are the two questions that I have about him. I think he'll be able to shoot. Okay, the rebounding. He's only been this height and weight for like 16, 17 months. Like he's just not grown into his body yet. That's why the 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 floor for him is like Willie Cauley Stein to me. It's actually very similar heights, weight, size, and also Willie Cauley Stein played a lot of football. The difference is that Willie Cauley Stein was like 22 and a half when he got drafted. Jackson just turned 19 and has only been, there's pictures of him from 2016 where he's like six foot tall. There's pictures of him from early 2017 where he's like six, seven. Like he was listed coming into last year at 24, seven and at rivals. The two big, they both listed him at six, seven, one eighty Cause he was a wing. And then I turned into a Texas game, and I was like, "That guy's not six seven. And What's even going on? and even when he was already like on the way to Texas, he was like a like the hundredth best recruit in the country on two forty seven, like oh. some, something like that. Like he wasn't considered. Wait, it to might be, have been lower than that. Yeah, that's, that's like, what I mean. Like I, it was not even like he was not even considered to be. Maybe he was like a very 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 low four star, but in terms of guys who are one and done lottery picks, it's about as low as you, you reasonably see. He was not a projected starter for them. Yeah. 
And they started Jericho Sims, one of the worst players in college basketball. <laughs> so that tells you how things have come. And that's, that's if, you want, if you want to be encouraged, it's that he's come that far in that short of amount of time. So I know he's raw now, but like, if you were a it's believer It's an upside pick. Like, yeah. I've said this about RJ before, and, and this is not necessarily like I, I'm actually warming up to RJ a little bit the last few weeks, mainly because he looks like he gained 7 million pounds of muscle. But um, but no, like the, it's the art. The, maybe the better one is the Harrison Barnes thing, where Harrison Barnes was the best 16 year old on the planet, and then three years later he looked exactly the same and played exactly the same. And it's like, well, he's not going to get any better if he didn't get better in in the most important, you know, the most transformative and and like human beings develop more between 15 and 20 than at any other time in their lives, I think. Right. And like if if he didn't get bigger or stronger or faster or get any better at basketball, and that he's not going to get better from twenty to twenty five or twenty five to thirty. His trajectory is very flat, and Jackson Hayes' trajectory is I have no idea what it is. Like, yeah, I mean he he has upside as a result of that. Like I think if you he can pass, he makes quick decisions generally. He reads the floor really well, so like you want that stuff. He's not Jaron Jackson because he's just not that kind of athlete and he's not that kind of weird he, he, genius. He, yeah, I was about to say, seeing the scene, very few players see the game the way that Jackson does defensively. But, like, if you want that kind of guy in this draft, a guy who has, like, a weird intersection of really good physical skills, tools, and obvious ability to actually read the floor, he might be the only one outside of the one notable exception. Who, of course, is Zion. Um, yeah, Zion, the white whale of this class, who is uh, not even worth yeah. talking about on this podcast because he's just not going to be a member of the Hawks. But um, no. he's very good, obviously. He's been so far ahead of everyone since like December that honestly, a lot of draft people we just kind of stopped talking about him. Like, especially at least in relation to other players. It's yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm guilty. I mean, I, I, we talked about him until the lottery, and then as soon as it became very very clear he wasn't going to Atlanta, it's like, all right, well, we might do 30 seconds on Zion. But other than that, the only question is basically how high are you on him to everyone that I ask now? It's like, do you see him as a LeBron level prospect, or do you see him as only the clear, the clear number one in this class? That's like that's kind of the only question. <laughs> it's like I have him. He's probably not LeBron level because I don't think he has the height, but I think he's at least the best prospect since Andy Davis, and probably better as a prospect because he was probably better in college. I mean, Andy Davis was not yeah. that good of an offensive player. At least he wasn't used as one, and Zion wasn't either. But he just sort of made. He just sort of took possessions. And yeah, that's the whatever. thing about Zion when compared to like. You know, Davis is the example everybody always uses, which is because he's the most recent, like, absolute, no doubt, number one kind of guy like that. But he, he was he was markedly better than Anthony Davis was in college. I mean, the I don't numbers know if are markedly. But he, yeah, I, I mean, Davis was the, the centerpiece of maybe the best defense in the history. Oh no, I mean, basketball. yeah, he was. I mean, I'm not, this is not a shot at Anthony Davis, who was obviously awesome, but he did have. But people just forget like about how good Kid Gilchrist was in that in that class. Oh yeah, that guy was ridiculous as a college player in one year as well. Um, and I'm like, again, like, it's just more of a credit to Zion to just talk about how absurd his numbers were. Like, it can't be overstated. Yeah. They're, they're just kind of off. They're beyond our charts, basically. Yeah. Everything about him. Um, we can, we, we can leave, we can leave, we can leave him now. I'm trying to save the wings and the forwards to the end. Oh, um, one more, I guess two, yeah, one more guy I wanted to ask you about specifically in the pseudo big category is Brandon Clark. Yeah, I don't th- I don't know if he would he kinda even more than anyone would kinda be I mean if you if they think if you think he's better than, than Collins, take him. But I mean he's about the same. He's I love Brandon Clark, but he is kinda like he's a much better shot blocker and, and uh, he is much better just switching out and, and 
knowing what he's doing defensively. Yeah, defensive instincts. Offensively, sure. offensively, he's kind of going to be the same player. He's really good touch. We'll do a lot of power dunks, pass on the move, shoot some floaters, run and transition really well. Like kind of the same player offensively. Um, so I mean, I I would I would think he's got a good chance of being an upgrade over Collins, but I probably would go for somebody else. Yeah, I mean the only. <laughs> Obviously, I think they they might decide. Because he's a guy who would not be able to play with. Like they would just play the same. Well, yeah, that that was my, that was my next question. Is like you, you have to kind of believe in Clark being able to make up for Collins defensively for it to ever work. Um, and as the four and five, I just don't know if it will. Like I think I'm more optimistic I'll say than this. some. But I'd be I'd be very into a John Collins Brandon Clark front court in the playoffs. I just in the over eighty two games, like who guards centers. Yeah, I mean, that, the thing, guys. there is a theory to them as like if you have someone that's like a true center, like for instance, Alex Lenz on the roster right now. Alex Lenz like a legit seven two. He's a monster, um, just physically. And if those are your if those are your three bigs, maybe you can mix and match them. And it could work out uh, with an eye yeah. towards the playoffs and knowing that you're gonna you're gonna end up not playing Alex Lenz all, all that much in the playoffs. Like maybe that's the theory behind it. I'm not saying that I'm endorsing that necessarily, but I think it, it becomes interesting at at ten. And especially, like, I saw a mock today that had Clark fall into 17. If he's there at 17, yeah, then, like, just take him and figure it out, Yeah, I guess. that's not even the question. Yeah, the, the value he would bring at 17 would be absurd. Yeah. Because I have him at three in the whole class. And that's and that's high. I mean, I think you know that, too. That's, that's obviously higher than the league is on him. But still, like, he, if you believe that he's even the 12th best prospect, which is kind of where I have him, I have him in that, the like, on him, The thing on him range. is his measurables were... His specials were bad. We all know that. Yeah. He also had maybe the best showing of any six eight guy in the history of the combine. I mean, physically, like, he's like an absolutely wise. ridiculous athlete. And when you combine that with his production, like I know he's old, and that has to be said that he is very old. But it's not like an old guy where he's using just like weird old man strength at the college level. He's also he's. I feel like his age, as a prospect, he's still young because he. He said he sat he sat on that entire year, and he spent that year learning how to shoot. He'd never had to shoot before, and so like I feel like he still has not really been utilized as a shooter, and he has such good touch that he probably will be a good shooter. Um, I mean, his free throw went up from like fifty percent at San Jose State to what was it like sixty seven? Like that's a big jump in two years, just do it just working out normal stuff, but so. Uh, he also was a he was a guard. He was another guy who grew in his junior year of high school, if I remember correctly, and just never really knew didn't know how to adjust to his body because he didn't grow to center size, so he didn't get like Jackson Hayes sort of hype. But he just sort of topped out at six seven six eight. But he's he was the second best. Like at a certain point, you have to factor in production. This is the the Camerata thing we'll talk about. I imagine. Oh yeah, it's like, coming. At a certain point. Like, college games, one college game is more important than a hundred years of high school basketball. It just is. Because the level, the level of production is so much higher. This is why I, I feel like people, sometimes sometimes we do overrate Summer League, but if a guy's just like, like Lillard, Lillard's a great, Lillard was unbelievably good at Summer League. It's like, yeah, he's good. Like, there's, you can't deny it. Like, he's just better than these these players. And, like, Clark was the second-best player in college basketball the entire year. It wasn't even that close. Like, he was dominant. He, 
and, and the thing was, even when he didn't score very well, he just he he was an absolute force. He blocked as many shots as he missed in college. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, he's he not even a seven footer. Seventy percent effective field goal percentage, something like that. Like some just like ridiculous that. number like that. And I mean, there were I know he was shooting from close to the rim, but like his finishing, his touch, it wasn't all just dunks. Like he's. Uh, very good. Uh, I wanted to ask you specifically, because I, I, I know what your big board, your in a vacuum big board looks like. Would your Hawks big board, I know it, I know it would be different, but would you, 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 would, you would go Goga, then Hayes, then Clark, or would you go Clark somewhere of, okay. else? Okay, of, of guys who would be there, or just anyone who is in Zion? That's uh, I'm saying just bigs, bigs only for now, and we're going to save the legs in the fourth. Okay, okay. Just this, those, I would those probably, three yeah, I, would, I would say I would say Goga, because they just need, they have more of a need at center. Um, I would say Goga, Hayes, Clark. Of those three, which is the which I know Clark is higher on your on your theoretical board, yeah. but the Hawks are just they're specific. Well, too. I also have everyone after from after Zion to what is it twelve? I kind of just have in the same tier. So at that point, that's just preference. Yeah, and uh, I believe yeah, I'm checking now. Is the last guy in that tier DeAndre Hunter for you? He's he's the first guy in the next tier. Okay, so let's start but there could, and then we'll go up. He could be there. he could be there though. I, like I. <laughs> He's right there because I mean the the three guys I have to well actually I guess that's yeah the four guys I have to ask you about now um, that often get put in the Hawks uh, barrel are Hunter, Culver, Reddish, and Nas Little. Um, I, I am on record as having Culver at the top of that list. I think you are as well, um, based on what I know. Uh, of you, go but, look, go look where I have him. So, yeah, yeah. I, saw, I saw that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so please, I mean I'm, I'm sort of going to open the floor up to you. Th- those are the four guys that are often linked to the Hawks. Tell people why you like them or don't like them compared to the consensus and what you like about uh, them in the Hawks. I don't like Nas Little because he's a bad basketball player. I would still, like in the 30s, I would like oh, I would give him a shot. But the problem with Nas Little is that he's not really a wing. Like, he doesn't have wing skills. He can't defend people. He can't dribble. He can kind of shoot. He is only really good at like Kenneth Fareed garbage man stuff. And he's much smaller than Kenneth Fareed. He was like a, a shockingly bad defender. He was terrible, um, and we all got tricked by him in high school because he looked it looked like he could dribble. And I was like, "Oh, that guy's really powerful and, and a huge athlete." He also gained a lot of weight for whatever reason at North Carolina. He just did not look like a. He wasn't even close to. I don't even know if he was a top five player on that team. Cameron Johnson was probably their best player. Kobe White was really good. Garrison Brooks was pretty good. And like Brandon Robinson, and then he might have been fifth. But like, I don't know. Kenny Williams was good too. So like, they they weren't. And they were a good team, but like he wasn't even – he hurt them so many times he would come in. He would just – look like he had no idea what he was doing. And I guess there's still upside with him athletically. And I think there's there's something to work with because he works really hard. And he apparently is a really good kid. But I would not – I wouldn't even touch him in the first round personally. I just don't what, – what's the upside? It's, yeah, I mean the, the, the thing about Little, and I'm obviously higher on him than you are, is – you know, what do you make of Little versus Reddish in that, you know, Little's numbers are actually substantially better than Reddish's were in college? In uh, some but, ways. And Reddish some was, of his numbers. Yeah, I mean, and Reddish was obviously, it's kind of funny. I, I made this point, and I think, I want to know what you would say. I, I think in the evaluation process and a lot of the public-facing stuff now that's out there in June, um, everyone kind of just mentions that Reddish struggled in college and then moves on. And then everyone mentions that Little struggles in college and just stays there. And it's, it's interesting yeah. to me because, like, they both were very bad, um, and I, yeah, and I, I, I know I why Reddish is ahead. And by the way, I had Reddish ahead of Little, so I'm not saying anything otherwise. But it's just interesting to me the way that the two of them are discussed in yeah. some ways. 
Well, the, the difference is that I think Reddish has skills that work better in the NBA. Like, I think I he will that. be a decent shooter. He also is good defensively. He's not, like, fantastic or anything. He's not even he's not even as good as Culver, personally. But he's a good defensive player. Um, he had a good steal rate. Nas Little had a bad steal rate. That's an important distinction. Um, Nas Little didn't really block shots. He shot, like, 25% on catch-and-shoots. He finished pretty well at the rim, but not, like, you know, fantastically. Um, the other thing was like, I, I don't buy at all the idea of Cam Reddish being like this tall point guard. Cause that's what he was billed as. That's not but he at least, he at least ha- made passes. Like Nas little had a sub look it up here. I had it. I just had it. I think Reddish's offensive feel is very point clearly eight, more encouraging. 0.48 assist to turnover ratio. Yeah. That's terrible. If you're not a center, it's not even good for a center. Really? That's pretty bad, but no, like, it's, it's, it's really not good. I mean, and reddishes was bad like, as well. Okay. Charles, Charles Matthews, who you've seen a lot of and is not a passer. No. 0.868. assists turnover. Twice as good. Was cams. Wasn't cams that bad too, or somewhere in that range. I was, I, I don't have it in front of me either, but his was, no, it was like 0.8. It was like 0.9. Like it was okay. closer to, yeah, that's, and by, I mean, by the way, he's point, definitely has point seven three. I, I'll give him credit though. He definitely, he had a few turnovers that weren't his fault. Everyone on Duke did because they would pass out to shooters, and the shooters would just not shoot and and like drop the basketball, and they would credit. I, I don't like RJ that much, but RJ, there was one game I remember RJ got credited for like six turnovers. If I remember correctly, like one of them was his fault. Like I don't know that Duke team. I feel like everyone but Trey Jones had their turnovers way inflated, but just they had negative spacing, the worst spacing I've ever seen for a good college team. Yeah, I mean it was that's it's really hard to the effect to that I said has, that has Zion. Zion was a better catch-and-shoot player than Reddish or Barrett, which is hilarious. <laughs> That's jarring. I mean, part of the reason why people, I think, it's not they're giving Reddish a pass, but they, they do acknowledge that in the NBA, the situation's going to be better for him, I think. Yeah. Um, and that's um, why I buy it a little bit more than some do. Um, and I'm not hugely in on Reddish either. I know the, there's some Hawks fans that are, like, really in on Reddish. And I'm kind of neutral. He shot 50% of the rim. That's... I mean, it's like legendarily bad how bad his shooting was around the rim. (laughs) The only first round – okay, I I looked this up a while ago. The only lottery player that shot worse than that at the rim in the last 20 years was Stanley Johnson, who is legendarily bad at the rim in the NBA. And the only only other player to be drafted at all that shot under 40% on twos was Isaiah Whitehead, who was terrible. So, like – if Reddish is a good NBA player, it will be a kind of a miracle. But I just think I think there's a better chance of him being a decent NBA player than Little. Like I think worst case he kind of is like what Trevor Ariza was, Trevor Ariza was last year, where it's like he's he can't really score in the paint, he can't shoot contested shots, but he'll hit some open ones and play solid defense. Like I would trust him in the playoffs at some point more than I would Little. I think is the question. Yeah, and I, I agree. I mean, I. I have them both higher than you do, but I, I understand all the concerns that you're putting out there, and I also agree that Reddish is better than Little as a prospect. Um, those two he's guys also are, better than Little. He's also better than Little for the Hawks because, like, he could shoot. Right. The shooting I think they could teach him. There. The problem. The problem is that he he changes his shot when he gets contested. I noticed that every time I saw him, it was weird. He like rushes it, kind of like how Carmelo does. You got to fix but, that. That's not going to work. Yeah. But I think that could be fixed. Like anything with the mechanics of a release can be fixed. Yeah, I mean that's that's true. And the Hawks have a great reputation as fixing. They're not fixing jump shots, but like they've have a long. You don't need to fix it. Like his. That's what I mean. Good. Like it's not. Yeah. They have a long track record of got, of getting guys to make shots at a higher level than they were making when they arrived. Yeah. And that's kind of what you need if, to do. I think if he's like thirty eight, thirty nine percent, 
he's a good foul shooter. That 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 translates pretty well. He's like 38, 39% and plays solid defense. Like I think he's probably worth a top 15 pick in this draft. I'm just I'm not a fan of his at all, but Yeah, I mean that's he, he is tall he, and he's good at defense, so like I, you know. I knew you I knew you were lower. Um let's take a a, a jump up real quick to Hunter. Uh, another another guy who's tall and good at defense. Yeah, DeAndre to, Hunter. Let's go to Hunter who I know you like more than those two guys, but are, you're not you're not all in either. So where where are you at? No. His problem is that he had like I think three unassisted three pointers in his whole career. Like you got to be able to create. He can't create a shot at all. It, the likelihood of him being like a real wing offensively is kind of low. He might be more like a Minu because he's really powerful. The, the weird thing about him though is he's not that good at defending up. He's very good at defending guards because he's just technically the most. He's the most sound like one-on-one technical defender, just like getting people kind of like Iguodala does or Iguodala is extremely strong and is a great athlete, but he could probably still play in the NBA till he's like 45 because he just knows how to like chip people and move them around and just get them out of their rhythm. Hunter's terrific at that. Might be the only thing he's actually good at. Um, I like, I'd like him for the hog at 10 though. I'd be fine with that. Like he'll probably be okay. Yeah, I mean, his the, the question is like he's just a four. He's a, he's a four offensively. Is, is the, the I, that's, that's where I was going? I was going to ask you, what do you think of his offense? I know you know his standstill shooting is solid, um, but what do you make of what he's going to be able to do in the NBA as an offensive player? That, that's kind of the pivot point. Everyone kind of agrees about his on-ball defense at this point. I know he's a little bit older, but what's his offense look like is kind of the dividing line of what, how much people like him. It seems he like. doesn't have great feel. He doesn't have great touch. He just kind of is mechanical. It's the best way to describe him. You know how before Kawhi Leonard could actually shoot? And the way we were all like, wow, that guy doesn't look like he can shoot. That's what Hunter looks like. He just kind of keeps his arm really tight. He can isolate a little bit. Like, I don't want my power forward shooting 17-footers off the dribble. Like, get out of here. He, the real concerning thing with him, and it's not just because, like, people want to excuse his really, like, dramatically low steal rate for a defensive player at 1.2, which is like, I think Tyler Hero has a better seal rate than that. Tyler Hero has a sub, a negative wingspan. Um, the, the problem with that, people wanted, and, and like, yeah, two for Tyler Hero. People want to excuse, and Virginia did play a very conservative style, but their style was conservative because they would put pe- they'd push people in the middle of the lane and then take the ball from them. Like, I think every other starter on Virginia had a higher steal rate than him. Jack Salt had a higher steal rate than him. Jack Salt it weighs 270 pounds and it's like six foot nine. And is white and is from Australia and has a negative wingspan. He's good, but like that shouldn't happen. You know, it, it, I think Michigan's a better example of a defensive team that actually like negatively impacts steal percentages. Virginia doesn't really like Ty Jerome should not get more steals than you if you're actually good at it. Yeah, and, I mean that's if you're. You know, I know you mentioned you're positive on his ISO defense, and that that's a good thing. But the lack of ISO defense is not as important as, as team defense. That's what I mean. The productivity of him defensively is one of the knocks and one that I actually also have. Like, I, I like him. I always have. It's funny. Like, I feel like I've, I've always liked him more than the consensus, and now I'm kind of maybe at the consensus. Like, it's not you, – you kind of know what you're getting, which is a good thing and a bad yeah. thing. Yeah. The thing with him, and I, people have talked about this – he may be stuck in the middle as far as the old tools IQ debate because he doesn't have crazy tools. And I think I think the reason he's not like a 
really a dynamic offensive player and he doesn't get in passing lanes, I just don't know if he processes the game that fast. He seems kind of a step slow. Like, if the ball's in front of him, he will defend it. But, like, I feel like he, he has problems diagnosing plays sometimes. And if he's a wing, he doesn't necessarily have to do that. That's more like what the center does. But it's enough that it's it's why he's not, not in my top ten. Yeah, I mean... I, just, I have a lot of questions about him. Oh, the, the good example of the way he shoots, actually, is uh, Luol Deng. He shoots like Luol Deng. Which worked when he was good. But like if you if you saw Luol Deng shoot off the dribble, it never looked like it was going to go in. That's Ever. true. I mean, and you're and you're a Bulls guy. I know you saw him more than I did. So I uh, love Luol. Yeah, I mean, and he scored forty points on nineteen shots once. It was and one obviously of the if you get, things I've ever seen in basketball. If you get Luol Deng at you know ten in the draft, that's a huge home run. But it's like but Deng Deng had longer arms. And like that's more, what I mean. Like you're not getting Luol Deng, and he's also yeah. Hunter's old, older than older than Deng was when he got there, and all that stuff. Um, you know, I guess the easiest way to put this is like, okay, you have Hunter ahead of Little and Reddish pretty clearly. If the Hawks mm. take Hunter at eight, do you criticize that pick, or is it okay with you? No, it's fine. It's average and fine. Okay. Yeah, because I don't. Right well, because I have I have some guards in that spot. They're not going to take. Yeah, Josh, I mean, they're obviously take him not. Out. Yeah, they're not. They're not going to take Moran. They're not going to take Garland. Um, and then that so cross those two guys off. Then do you have? I'm looking for Kobe White. No, you don't have Kobe White that high. Okay. No. Um. So yeah, it's and obviously you know, it's just I don't know. It's interesting to figure out this class. We talked about the bigs. Oh, okay. The last last sort of head to head ish comparison is Barrett and Culver. Um. And I think this only matters if the Hawks trade up. But non coincidentally, there have been two rumors in the last three weeks about the Hawks moving up. One with the Knicks, and then this sort of ongoing one about like maybe Cleveland and at five, et cetera. This, I will say this. If they move up and it's to get RJ, I will laugh at them forever. <laughs> okay. So expound on that. Cause I, I, I am not high on RJ. Uh, no, I'm higher than I was when the season ended. Cause I think, I think he, well, I also saw the comparison of him, uh, Ben Rubin on the step and wrote, he may just be like Michael Finley, which I actually really like because Michael Finley was a power player. And RJ is very powerful. He's a really good rebounder. And like, his problem is that it's a weird thing. If you watch him run, wait a second. He runs. He's a really great stride length. Like you want stride length, like LeBron does, where he just covers a lot of ground. The problem is he can't adjust that. And I've been saying this all year. When he gets in tight in, in driving into the teeth of teeth defense, which you want him to do because he's not like a, a really good pull up shooter. Well, I think he could be okay. Um, you want a guy who can do the Shea thing. The Shea Gilgis Alexander thing, or coincidentally, the Jarrett Culver thing, where they're just really, really good at navigating around people and finding their way, improvising, body control, stretching around people. And RJ's just too big. Like he's just his arms are too big, his legs are too long. So he very obviously will make up his mind way ahead of time where he's gonna go and like I'm gonna do a Eurostep to the left. And then the defender will just move it to the left and he'll just run into him and he won't know what to do and he'll just throw a shot up. Like he all he gets almost no easy baskets on the move in the paint unless he you know cuts in open somebody passes it to him which you know he's good at that but everyone's and, good at that you know and it's I'm I'm, and also, I'm also not I'm also not convinced he's he's a he's not he's a bad defender he's okay one on one I think uh, it I'm might also, improve in the, in the NBA but like not he's very strong where it's going to be yeah he is strong and physical. Um, I almost like him in a vacuum more than for the Hawks because I think. If you're yeah. if you're if you want RJ, like if you believe in him, if you're the team that's like we're all in on RJ, it's probably as a primary, and yes, that's not that's what, what he is say. in Atlanta. No. So 
it just doesn't, I mean, like the stuff that he's supposed to be good at kind of fades a little bit in Atlanta. I think he's a, I think he's a good passer. Like he makes passes when he has to. The problem with him, I noticed this at watching literally every Duke game. He would make great passes with a lot of touch. He throws good passes when it was, when the play call was like RJ comes around the screen and hit, like comes out of this pin down and hits a guy on the baseline. He did it every time. But when the, when it wasn't that he always shot. He doesn't want to pass. Well, that, that's the thing about it for me, and that's my my biggest concern. Maybe it's unfounded. I don't know, I don't know the young man. I've never talked to him. My my biggest concern would be that he just doesn't ever get it. That he isn't going to yeah. be able to do this this way. Like, you know, all the credit to him. He has this great reputation of being this this huge competitor, and the way that he wanted a high level at, at, when he was younger. And it's because he's bigger, faster, and stronger than everybody else. And now that's not going to be the case anymore. And I, I'm not sure he's – for me, it's like he almost just needs to chill and realize that he's not going to be the one, a number one option on a good team. That's kind of my no. thing with Barrett. If, if he, if he knows that, the then that, that really helps. Any NBA team. Yeah, I mean, right it, it really helps if he, does, if he figures that out and, like, accepts that role. It's just that we don't know that he's going to do that or not. He just Because even this year, occasionally he would defer to Zion, but there's, there were so many opportunities where – it was the RJ show. Well, it's like Zion's more, in the court more right concerningly, now. More concerningly, there were times when Zion would do some incredible nonsense, and then RJ would just grab the ball the next time. He'd be like, "My turn," and take it. Yeah, I mean, there, I mean, how many how many games down the stretch, even games that they ended up winning, it was just the RJ show, and it's like Zion is the best player in the country by a lot, and he's just out there like not touching the ball for like wide stretches of time. And it's just RJ. The Gonzaga ISOs. game was, and part of that, I, I will say, part of that may have been Coach K just and being probably. Like, I agree. But part of but, it, not, not all of it. <laughs> yeah. part, part of it's RJ too. Um, yeah, I, I can say, I, I don't want to say he's a bad person because that's presumptive. I've just heard a lot of stuff about him just being really like, maybe trying to assert himself, being too assertive and being too like, this is my team, Kobe, when he the teammates don't appreciate that and they don't want that. Yeah, Whereas think- Zion is like, universally beloved he's just a wonderful person. Yeah, I mean, I've heard, I've heard good things about, about RJ's character. Like, I'm not, this is not, a negative about like him, but that is a problem. And that's kind of what I was saying. Like if he, in his mind, like the Kobe comparison gets thrown around and like, I'm not trying to insert any of like the terrible Kobe personality things that happened, but like just no. the competitive part of, of Kobe, if that's the kind of mindset he's going to have, it's not going to work. It's just, not. well, okay. You can tell very much that RJ wants, it, it likes Kobe and wants to be Kobe. Like, that's who I am as a basketball player. That's not who you are as a basketball player. No, I can tell you that. it's not. And that's the problem. So if, if, he, if he figures out that he's not that, there's a lot of things that you could like about him as a secondary option. Um, it's just where that the works. Problem is, the problem is that I like all the things Jared Culver does as a secondary option much more than that's I do. That's a great transition, Brian, because uh, <laughs> uh, that's one of the things that people go back and forth on. I think most... Most people, and this is why I go back to you, not, I like the fact that you don't like the consensus very much, but most people have Barrett as a solid number three um, in, this, in this draft. Uh, most people. Because they look at box score stats. That's, that's exactly right. Um, so I know you are higher on Culver than Barrett. In Culver, there was a report, a report out there from Jeremy Wood, Sports Illustrated, who I like very much, um, that was basically putting out there that maybe the Hawks would be targeting Culver if they were to trade up. And that, I heard the same thing. I believe it was Sean Devaney earlier in the process said that the Hawks might target Culver. Um, interesting. I asked there. you earlier. I asked you earlier if the dra- if my Hawks board would be guys they, that will be there or anyone who is in Zion. Because if it's anyone who is in Zion, I think Culver is uh, he would fit unbelievably well with Trey Young. 
he like, he would be the guy I would draft if if for I, I said this I think like two months ago even. But if if for some reason the Hawks had got number two in this draft, and the NBA said you cannot trade this pick, you are not allowed, I would have taken Culver, hundred percent. Yep. Not even a question um, for me personally. And you know there there are days when I could talk myself out of that, but for the most part, I've been kind of firm on Culver. I mean, you, you could certainly talk me into Morant for a different team, but for the Hawks, obviously that's not that's not the case. So Culver no. would be the guy, and um, you know I guess. Barrett has Barrett versus Culver is very interesting. I heard, um, I think it was Nate and Danny were very low on Culver um, recently, and because they watched they watched two yeah, games of his. <laughs> they probably watched his, they probably watched his best statistical game, which would have been probably the Iowa State one, and then his worst one, which is a good a good way. To, it's a good way to start. I, I do that a lot for a guy I've never seen. I'll go find his best game and his worst game. And then they probably just watched a bunch of Synergy clips. And, like, Synergy is great. You should not be using Synergy as a primary scouting tool. You have to watch games. Yeah, you have I mean, to watch a full game. It's just the only way to get – to track how a guy plays and, like, what how, – how they adjust to the game. It's really hard to do it the other way around. And, obviously, Culver was not great in the title game. And that's – for a lot, of, a lot of people, that was, if not their only exposure, their only major exposure to Jared Culver. Was he was also facing – he was also facing the team – the team that was the best at containing dribble drives of anyone in the country. And – I've said before that Texas Tech team making the finals, well, it's it's really how good their defense was because that team had no, you know how in the in the finals game that uh, game three where Kawhi was hitting all those crazy shots yeah. and then everyone else in the Raptors was just dropping the ball and like looking confused. <laughs> That's what Texas Tech looked like every game. Oh no, I mean the no talent else, the, the talent level no on, one that else team, on that team. Yeah, no one else on that team could score on the move at all. Unless it was Tariq Owens catching and dunking, and then once in a while like Mooney or Kyler Edwards would flip over a shot. And Moretti, Moretti's a great shooter, but he couldn't, he can't score, he can't get in the paint. Um, Culver did like he he had a he had a higher usage than RJ. He's never going to have a, a thirty-two usage in the NBA. No, even if it becomes Jimmy Butler, which he kind of looks like physically. Jimmy Jimmy Butler doesn't have a thirty-two usage in the NBA. Thirty-two usage is absurd. Like Russ has that, and he's so good at. I don't, he's so good at, at catching people off guard with one, two dribble moves. He's a better passer than RJ, like instinctively by miles. He's also defensively. I don't know if there's ever been two prospects in the, of the same relative level, same relative size and like production who had one skill as different as Culver Culver's defense as a, as a freshman. I heard Nate and Danny talk about this. They they kind of poo pooed his block percentage as a freshman. He had almost five block percentages as a six foot four two guard freshman three star recruit. He's an outstanding shot blocker for his size. He had a lot of steals, on ball, off ball, in passing lanes, everywhere. He reads the floor really well. The only thing that really holding me back on him is it is kind of a weird release, but he made it. It's better than it was. I was gonna say it. It really. Uh... And a lot of people on on draft Twitter, however you want to say that, like noticed it really early, like in November. It's like, oh, Jarrett Culver is like a thing because he's fixing his jump shot a little bit, and it works. Yeah. And it's not a right now. It's not a strength by any means, but it's gotten better already to the point where the it's thing, also encouraging. The thing helps him. What I think helps him honestly is that he does have the kind of release like Middleton does, where he will be good at hitting contested shots, and that might be the key for a guy like him because if he's not gonna. He, He's not. He's not. He's not explosive. RJ is more explosive vertically for sure. Because the difference I said though is that Culver is has exceptional body control and, and can really can really contort himself and 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 move around people and fit through windows and like it. It's like Shea, but 
the, the obviously the best comparison for him physically in the entire NBA is probably Karis Levert, though. Nice, but he's speaking, just, speaking my language. And by the way, much, he's much much better at, at passing and ball handling and, and playing defense. Karis is a very good defender, well, especially at the age that he is now. I mean, Karis, yeah. Karis as a prospect was you know he had all the injury stuff, et cetera. And I think uh, just to go a little bit deeper, people are going to recoil at the thought of your number two prospect being Karis Levert. Um, just because that's just the way people are. Like people are going to hear yeah. that and say, "What are you talking about?" Number, a this draft, as we talked about a lot, is not star driven outside of Zion. It's very flat. And B, um, Karis Levert with better defense is a really really good basketball player. <laughs> and much 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 stronger, by the way. He's people have talked about that too. The IQ thing you want. You want guys who make quick good decisions. And Culver always did that. You also want guys. You honestly, if you're not getting a star, even if you are getting a star. Most stars, I think if you had to look for two things that all stars have, it's qu- quick decision-making and they're stronger than the average guy at their position. They all are. Culver is monstrously strong for the guy's like, size and frame. And he's getting bigger, like much, much bigger. He's listed – I said this during the title game. He and Ty Jerome on the NCAA side are, were both listed at six foot five, 190 pounds. He is not six foot five, and he is not 190 pounds. No, I mean that was obviously – I would bet uh, he's 225, like – that was his two years he's ago. That's uh, a big dude. Yeah, I mean, he, what did he measure six seven at the combine? I don't have it in front of me. Like six, About seven, a six, little seven, under, like that. a little under, yeah, a little under both. I think it was but, one of my favorite things of the entire season was uh, like the step in and everybody like, what is Jarrett Culver's real height? And there was like that huge yeah. study that they did. It was it was hilarious. I, I loved I loved all the, that. The way you can really tell how strong he is. Look at his legs. Look at, like his thighs. That dude has huge legs. Like Carson Edwards might be the only guy proportionally in Zion who have bigger legs in this draft. And uh, it actually makes him – it's like he's not a super impressive like standing vert guy, but I noticed this a lot. He um, – there was – I was looking at his synergy. He shot – he only shot 56% at the rim, which is fine. But I looked. He shot 32% on putbacks, and it was like – he had like 60 putbacks. <laughs> so like he, he just got up. He's able to get off his feet quicker than most people because he can power up through because his, his leg muscles are so big. So, like, he probably won't be shooting a lot of putbacks. Like, he'll probably just take those and, and keep running around the other way. Like, I don't know. He's really good at working on the baseline with the ball, which is a rare skill. I just feel like I feel like he could easily be Middleton, but, like, more of a ball handler. Um, he could guard three positions. He can play three positions on offense. He'll hit spot-ups. He's a great, wonderful passer. Makes really, really tight, good passes. He gets steals. He, he gets all the stuff you want. Statistically, he got a lot of dunks, a lot of steals, a lot of made free throws. Those are the three things you really look for in a college player. They're the three things that like infer dominance. He was dominant. He destroyed the Big Twelve, the toughest league, like physically the toughest league. Yeah, he was he was really really good. Um, and you know, I'm okay he's with not people. Gonna be, he's not going to be a superstar, but that's the, that's the thing, and that's good. He's that's, going. I'm I'm sure of it. He's going to be good. Yeah, I mean, dating back to the beginning of this conversation, that's the biggest thing that. I have I've been trying to drill into fans' brains all season long. Honestly, once we know this, what, this, what this draft was going to kind of be, is like, look, I understand that, and I, you know, kind of, kind of got lucky in that the Hawks didn't get a top three pick in this class. Um, yeah, so it made it easier to talk about. But like, even at even at three four in this draft, you know, you can't compare this to traditional number three picks. Like, it's just not that kind no. of draft. Um, so, like for instance, you know, Luca, Luca went number three last year's draft. Trey Young went, went number five. Yeah, <laughs> like it's not. You can't, you can't do that. It's the best, like, the best way to say this is I've been talking to people. I think every guy who won the lottery last year, except for Knox, 
Jerome Robinson and maybe Sexton, probably Sexton, they'd all probably go number two in this draft, like individually. If you put any of them in this draft, like Bagley would be number two, Aiden would be number two, Darren Tra- would be number Trey two. Trey for sure. Um, Trey for sure would be number two. Luca would be one or two, yeah. depending on who you ask. But like, I mean, all those. I mean, Mikael, Mikael Bridges, I like. I consider him a two. Oh yeah, I mean that was Shay. I would have Shay at two in this draft. Not even. Yeah, not even I mean, close. and that that says a lot about how good last year's draft Baba was. Maybe not in retrospect, but also like physically, I think you'd have to at least consider it. Yeah, I mean, it just goes to trying to compare drafts is tough, but um, get you know everything we just said about Culver and the fact that he's not going to be a star. He can still be the number two guy in this class. It's like kind of a crazy parallel, but it's I true. don't think there's. It's not hard at all to see him as the third best player on a very good, like a very very good like conference finals team. Who else he could get that from? If the, I don't think the Hawks should trade up because, like I said, I, I would I would say, I'd rather have two of the second group of guys in this class than any one of them. But if I if you were gonna make me do it, I would do it for Culver. I wouldn't even consider it. Like he was the guy I go after. Yeah, he's also he's so unselfish. He would he and Trey would be wonderful. I I yeah. totally agree. Um, I I do think you're you're again. I mean, because we're different people. I think you're a little higher on him, but I I've always liked him. I've been on him all season long. I wrote about him. I think in like November as a potential top five pick. Like I, I'm in. Um, I went out of my way to watch Texas. I watched every Texas Tech game this year. I would go out of my way to watch them because I enjoyed him reading the floor, him making crazy. I I really like crafty finishers. That's my favorite kind of player like that's why i like tall guards because they're able to reach around people so much he was just the the, the best crafty finisher in, in college basketball he had so many fun layups he's so good with angles and like finishing around people yep that's the thing rj always tries to go through people or over people like, he wants to hit and that's not necessarily a bad thing to want contact but rj like needs it he needs to be he needs to feel people on him and and culver just avoids i he would dodge God, it, six or seven times this year, somebody would try to take a tar- charge, and he would just jump around them, like leave his feet and swoop around them and have an easy bucket. Body, body control is a thing; you got to have it. Great, it's a great skill. Particularly when you're not like an uber elite athlete. So, um, yeah, it's um, he's going to be good at basketball. Uh, last thing before I let you get out of here, man, we've done plenty, I think. But um, <laughs> to, back to the very beginning of the conversation about um, trade possibilities, are you pro or anti? Like the rumored, like hypothetical, like for instance, it's like. This is just me putting it together in my mind, but like five, four, eight, and seventeen kind of trade. Like, would you be willing to do that? Um, particularly if the, if the prize was Culver. Like, how would you evaluate trade? Yeah, it, up? It, it, you'd have to. You'd have to do that. I think you'd have to do that during the draft. Yeah, I mean, you I, I, have to I, wait I wouldn't. I wouldn't there. commit to that. Yeah, I also would too. not trade. I would not trade the pick they just got unless you for some other trade, like a star or some kind. Because I feel like next year. The, the guy who gets taken at like nine next year is probably going to be a lot better than whoever it is this year. Next year looks pretty strong. Now, it, it, next year also doesn't look like it has that many stars, but it just looks like it has a lot of really good players. Yeah, it does look better um, on paper. I do think. Um, and it, if they, how many picks do they have in twenty twenty one? They just have their two right now, or do they have any extra ones? They have a second. They have an extra second, I believe. Okay. I'm looking, as I would talk. guard any any top. Any potential lottery pick in 2021, I would basically not trade for anything. Yeah, 21, they only have... And 22, fact, honestly. No, they only have their own okay. picks. Oh, no, except for they're probably going to get the Cleveland second-round pick. 
because that top ten pick is not gonna is not gonna come most likely. Yeah. In twenty twenty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's gonna be Cleveland's second, which is gonna be a good pick, I think, maybe in twenty twenty one. Um twenty twenty one seems insane. And then twenty two also because it might be the, the double draft. It might be they have the, first the high extra draft. potential extra first rounder from Oklahoma City if Oklahoma City makes the playoffs that year. So that that'll be a pick in the twenties if it happens. Which I could see, yeah. But yeah. yeah. So they have some assets, but most of them are concentrated in this year and next year, which is not ideal, but it's uh, they're still assets. And um, you know, in, in general, I am anti trade up in this draft, but particularly for Culver, I would understand it more. Yeah, you know, I think Kevin Pelton came up with uh, somebody. Somebody tweeted this out from last year. Kevin Pelton's trade chart of like NFL style values for yeah. trade slots, yeah. and that says not to do any of the trades that have been suggested. Even like ten for like even ten and seventeen for five is like a no no on that trade chart. And I'm okay with that because that's kind of how I feel. But if you yeah. get the guy you want, then it's a little bit different. Like if Col- if you think Culver, like as Brian does, is number two in this draft, you might want to consider that. Um, but it's still if if you believe it's flat as we both do, it's not the value's not great to go up. And, I, and I'm a big proponent of treating this more like the NFL draft. Like I'm a big proponent of uh, if you have multiple second round picks and you have one position you really need, you should just draft two guys, draft two of them. Your odds of one of them being good is are so much higher. Like the Bulls, the Bulls do the opposite of this, where the Bulls will take a guy. <laughs> Your Bulls. They're probably going to take Kobe White in this draft, and then next year they're just they could get the second pick and they won't take any of the point guards because they're like, well, we got our point guard. It's like, well, you don't. You need to try like take the best player. Yeah, they should be I mean, taking Grant Williams. They won't take Grant Williams because they want me to suffer. The internet, the internet's favorite Grant Williams. I know, I know you love him too. Ben Pfeiffer came on and, and uh, loves him. Jackson Frank came on. He loves him. Everybody loves everybody loves Grant Williams on this podcast. Grant is Grant is a weird genius. He's one of the. He's probably the smartest person in this draft class. He basically just is like built in a lab to appeal to you. By the way, oh, I love Grant. Knowing, knowing what I know about you and the way you see this stuff, he's like. Your guy, I, I, I would have known that even even if I didn't like read your uh, evaluation, I would have known just on sight of him that you would like him. So him and Chuma, him and Chuma, where Chuma just got weird tools and also. Oh, speaking of second it, round guys for the Hawks, if he gets there, it, they should take Chuma. They should take Chuma at seventeen. They should take Chuma at eight. I don't give a shit. I know you. Chuma's a monster. <laughs> I know you love him. Chuma is a genius, and he might be there at thirty-five. That's that's in play. If he's there at thirty-five, I am all absolutely. In. Yeah, no reason not to. Injury and all doesn't matter to me. Um, all right. ACL, who cares? <laughs> yeah, it's not, not a bad one. Okay, Brian, we, we've done enough. Uh, thank you for giving yep. me all of this time. Please plug yourself. I know you're doing some stuff for Dime and your Patreon and all that, so please share people. Yep. Find yourself. I do a couple things a month for Dime. Uh, not really sure what I'm going to do the rest of this month, honestly. I'm not sure if we're doing a draft review or anything. Uh, if you want to take one of my mock drafts, please, please do, because I'm, <laughs> I'm the mock draft guy. And it's, not, it's, uh, it's not always fun to do mock drafts. I, this year sucks for mock drafts. It's not it's just, fun at all. I have to, I have to say, after, I, I still like, enjoy the draft. Five, but, it's just sort of like, ugh. I don't know who, who do I take. The one I've been doing personally is Shimori Pons to the Magic because it's like, hey, a guard. Oh, but I don't. Wow. They won't do that. Yeah, I like I like Pons a lot, but Pons has Pons is another one of those guys who he has tiny hands. I don't know if I've ever seen a guy with hands as small as him have like a three and a half steal percentage. It's weird. So there's a, there's a chance Pons is like eighty percent of Kemba, and it's like I'd take that. There's also a chance he they like washes out of the league, but yeah, he's whatever. interesting, and as a second round guy for sure, it becomes very interesting. But uh, yeah, all that to say, you're you're on dime, uh, your Patreon, which I am a patron of and enjoy um, at a high level. What else? What else is that? Is that it? Your Twitter account, I guess. Yeah, that's all the basketball stuff I do. Yeah, and that'll be uh, in in the that'll be in the post and all that stuff that goes up here. So please follow Brian 
on the Twitter machine if you don't already do that. Um, it's it's great. He's already I know you're already all in on 2020 because that's just what you do. You've already seen all these guys a million times, and you're ahead of me on that stuff. So um, I was about to post my uh, top 30 seniors, juniors, sophomores, but I, I figured I'd wait on that. <laughs> People aren't gonna care right now. Why not? Everybody always yeah, cares. I'll, no, I'll do it. I need, well, I need to have some. Unlike unlike some entrepreneurs on Patreon who shall remain nameless, I don't think you can get a bunch of people if you have six posts. You do one post every ten weeks. Like, I'll do something during the summer. That's that's not going to work. Yeah, you got to have some that, content. That going. isn't uh, summer league. Yeah, and uh, yeah, you are you are the follow for summer league too because uh, you like me enjoy it quite a bit, and we'll talk, we'll talk more about it. More, Fine, more about enjoy. That later. Uh. Enjoy. I mean, you just devour it like it's uh, going out of style. It's basketball. I, mean, I, I hate being in Las Vegas, so. I know. We'll we have fun. We always enjoy it. It's fun. You start losing, like, consciousness by, like, day five. I get that. Oh, yeah. But uh, anyway, we've gone too long. Thank you, man. I appreciate this. Yep. We will do it again, uh, I'm sure, in the, in the future. Please subscribe to this podcast, everybody that's listening. And we'll see everybody later on in the week.